Welcome to the Go and Teach Bible Study program presented by the Monta Vista Church of Christ in Phoenix, Arizona. We want to thank you for joining us today as we examine the truth of God's Word and the answers it holds to life's most important questions. If you have questions about this lesson or would like to study further, please contact us at montavistacoc.com. Now let's open our Bibles and study God's Word together. Thanks for joining me on the Go and Teach radio program. My name is Ryan Goodwin. I preach for the Monta Vista Church of Christ here in Phoenix, Arizona. If you're ever in the area, then please meet with us on a Sunday for a worship service or come to one of our Bible classes on Sunday morning or Wednesday night. If you've got questions about the Bible and you just want to sit down and talk, then reach out to us and we'll set up a time where we can just get together on your schedule. We'll come to you or we'll meet at a coffee shop. Whatever it is that you need, we want to be available as a church, as a group of God's people representing Him on planet Earth. We want to be available to help you with your spiritual needs. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you've done in the past, no matter the regrets that you might have about mistakes that you've made, or if you're not at a point yet where you're willing to accept that they were mistakes, Whoever you are, we want to preach the message of salvation to you, the message of the gospel, which is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to this world to save sinners, sinners just like you and sinners just like me. Before we know Christ, we are lost people. And when we know him, when we obey the gospel message and become Christians, we are known by him. We become a part of his kingdom. And that kingdom consists of people who are rich and poor. That kingdom consists of people who are young and old. People of all races and ethnicities and backgrounds. Where everybody stands before God, saved, full of grace, equally loved by him. Now, I know what you might be thinking. That's an easy offer to extend, but a very difficult one to accept. It's a very difficult one also to apply consistently. Because human tendency is that we want to be around people similar to us. And that's not always necessarily a bad thing or an evil thing or some symptom of a greater problem. It just is what it is. We like to be around people who have had similar experiences to us, similar backgrounds, people who've been to the same places, people who've seen the same things, people who are interested in the same hobbies, people who do the same kinds of jobs. We, we just naturally want to be around people who are similar to us. And yet, the church is called to be a collection of people that might not normally be associated with each other. The church is called to be a kingdom that crosses normal boundaries, social boundaries, economic boundaries, racial boundaries. We are called to be different from the rest of the world. Now, fitting in with each other is not always easy. Fitting in with each other is also not a new problem. 
Whatever differences there might be between all of us must be overcome and put into perspective. This is certainly true on the grand scale, but it's also true on the local scale. When you look at things from the perspective of a local congregation of Christians, if Christians in a church cannot learn to get along with each other, if whatever boundaries might normally divide them in other circumstances cannot be overcome, that church will always struggle, and that church will always face division. That's not just a 21st century thing, that's also a 1st century thing. That goes all the way back to the beginning of church history. Churches in the first century faced difficulties when it came to divisions along economic boundaries, along social boundaries, along racial and ethnic boundaries. They faced those same problems that we do today. So how did they overcome them? What lessons can we learn about that? And how can we make our own congregation a place where all people feel welcome to come and learn about Jesus Christ. Finally, perhaps you're not a member of any church. Maybe you're just looking and you just happen to be scanning through the radio stations today and you came across our radio program. If that's the case, then I want to sympathize with you that it's not always easy to go to a group of complete and random strangers and try to to get to know people and to become vulnerable around those people to open up and talk about who you really are and what your spiritual needs are and and what your spiritual deficiencies are, that can be incredibly challenging. So maybe some of the things that we talk about in our program today will help break down those barriers for you. And you'll be more willing to come to Monte Vista sometime and see what it means to be a part of a church, to be a part of a congregation of God's people, just trying to do their best to represent Him here on planet Earth. If you have a Bible handy, open up to the New Testament, to the book of Acts, and let's take a look at Acts chapter 10. Now, up to this point in the book of Acts, we've seen the establishment of the church on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We have seen phenomenal growth in the church in Jerusalem. People were being added to the number of that church day by day as they were obeying the gospel message. We've seen some persecution as well. Not, not everything is always going well. There are enemies, people who don't like to see the church growing, and they want to see the way of Jesus Christ destroyed. There's also a division that has not yet been addressed. For the most part, the gospel message has been preached to Jewish individuals, and it has been Jews who have accepted that gospel message. So the church in Jerusalem, and more broadly the church around the the known Roman world, was a primarily, quote-unquote, Jewish group of people. The rest of the world is Gentile, and they have not yet had the gospel preached to them. So Acts chapter 10 represents the breaking down of a barrier, the, the, the crumbling of a wall that separated them. And we see the way that the gospel is preached by Peter the Apostle to a Gentile audience. If you're not familiar with the history behind this division between Jew and Gentile in the first century and in the Roman world, well, suffice it to say, it was a very difficult boundary to cross. Jews and Gentiles did not typically have a lot to do with each other. 
They isolated themselves in their local communities by, by families. They isolated themselves in their synagogues as well as in the, the pagan religion of the Roman culture. They didn't have a lot of business connections with each other. They showed favoritism uh, toward their own kind. And while there wasn't always outright hostility between them in, in many Roman communities, it wasn't unheard of for there to be violent outbreaks between these two groups of people. They ate different kinds of foods. They worshipped in very different ways. They worshipped different gods. Their family structures were different. Their understanding of marriage was different. How they raised their children was different. Uh, their, their native languages were different. The way they approached literature and art, those things were all very different. So in a lot of ways, it was like oil and water, Jew and Gentile. So let's pick up here in Acts chapter 10, verse 1. Now there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. The Jews actually had a specific term for somebody like Cornelius. He was a God-fearer. That term applies to somebody who was not Jewish ethnically and who had chosen not to become Jewish, at least in the full religious sense, but nevertheless sympathized with Judaism and appreciated it and wanted to support it. So Cornelius was a man who probably occasionally went to the synagogue and supported the Jewish community in Caesarea, but he had not fully converted to the Jewish way of life. So he was a God-fearer. Verse 3, But the ninth hour of the day he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come into him and said, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze upon him in verse 4 and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Peter was one of the original disciples of Jesus and an apostle who uh, helped establish the church in Acts chapter 2. He is staying, it says in verse 6, with a certain tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, I love this, that Cornelius is a devout man. He's a very religious person. He prays and he gives alms because God said through the angel, I've heard those things. I've heard your prayers. I know who you are. He was familiar with him. And yet, in spite of all the good things that Cornelius had done. He was a good man who, who apparently believed in God. He still wasn't saved. He needed something. Something needed to happen for him to truly come to God. Now, this is recounted later on in Acts chapter 11. And it says here in Acts chapter 11, as Peter is talking about this story, and he's recounting the story to his companions back in Jerusalem, it says here, in verse 13, he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in the house saying, Send to Joppa and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. So before Cornelius had heard the gospel, was he saved? No. In verse 14, 
He shall speak words to you by which you will be saved. Cornelius was a Gentile who knew at least some things about God, but had an incomplete knowledge of God. He needed to hear the gospel in order to be saved. Now let's pick up the story here back in chapter 10. We meet Peter in in verse 9, that as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter, again the apostle, went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and was desirous to eat. But while they were making preparations, he fell into a trance, and behold, the sky opened up, and a certain object, like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it, in the sheet, all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, saying, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. That is, by, by the Jewish standard by which he was living, the law from the Old Testament of the Bible, Peter knew as a law-abiding Jew that there were certain things he couldn't eat. There were certain animals. And in his lifetime, Peter acknowledged that he never ate those things. He never violated that part of the Jewish law. But it says in verse 15, again, a voice came to him a second time saying, what God has cleansed no longer consider holy. And this happened three times. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Now, Peter was pretty perplexed by that, it says in verse 17. He didn't really understand what that vision meant. He's been a law-abiding Jew this whole time. He has kept all of the commandments, all the food laws. He's practiced the Sabbath and he's kept the Ten Commandments. He's not eaten anything unclean. So what is with this vision where the voice from heaven says, take these things, kill them, and eat them now. Everything that you had never eaten before that you thought was unlawful, everything that you knew to be wrong, now I'm telling you what God has cleansed, you should consider to be holy. That's pretty confusing for a guy like Peter. So as he's pondering this, it says in verse 17 that the men who had been sent by Cornelius came to Simon's house and appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. Verse 19. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without any misgivings. For I have sent them myself. And Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? And they explained to him the background. They said that Cornelius, a centurion, who was righteous and God-fearing and well-spoken of, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. So Peter went with them on the next day. Now they came to Caesarea, it says in verse 24. And Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. I really appreciate that about Cornelius, by the way. He's told by an angel that this random guy, this Peter, a Jew, is going to come to them and tell them a message that he needs to hear, a message that would lead to his salvation. And what does Cornelius do? He advertises it to his friends and his family. He's not going to keep this secret because if this truly is a message that leads to his eternal spiritual salvation, then he's not going to keep that hidden. He wants his family and his friends to know about that as well. So in verse 27, 
As he talked with them, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And they would have known that. Cornelius would have been aware of that. He, he would have been aware, very acutely aware, of how different he was from the Jews who were in his community. The Jews had separated themselves from the Gentile world. And any time that, that, that Cornelius would have wanted to associate with them in any way, to interact with them in any way, to have any business with them, he would have been acutely aware of the fact that he was, in spite of his righteousness, in spite of what a good man he was, he was nevertheless an outsider to the Jews. It is unlawful for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, and yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Peter's starting to get it now. He's starting to realize what that vision about the sheets filled with unclean animals was all about. That is why I came in verse 29. That is why I came without even raising an objection when I was sent for. And so I asked for what reason you have sent me. And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been received and remembered before God. Send to Joppa and invite Peter to come to you. And it says in verse 33, so I sent to you immediately and you've been kind enough to come. Now then, we're all here, present before God, to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. And in one of the truly great speeches in the book of Acts, among many great speeches, Peter opened his mouth and said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation, every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. That is a very powerful message. It's powerful today. But just imagine what it was like in the first century when two groups of people who normally had nothing to do with each other, at least in a practical day-to-day -day sense, are suddenly asked by God. No, they're commanded by God, told by God that they can all be part of one spiritual kingdom together. That all the things that once divided them are meaningless now. The barrier that had been set up is broken down. Jew and Gentile, in spite of all their ethnic differences, in spite of all their religious differences that, that they had held up to that point, all the misgivings they had about each other, the misunderstandings, they could all put the past behind them. They could drop the paganism and the empty law-keeping. They could drop the temple. No matter you're talking about the temple in Jerusalem or the pagan temples throughout the Roman world, they could put the temples behind them. And they could all be Christians. They could accept the message of Jesus Christ, that he is the Son of God, and that he welcomes all people, if they're willing to put their sins behind them, into his spiritual kingdom. I mean, all you can say is, wow. So as we move to the end of the chapter, as if the vision that Peter saw wasn't enough to confirm that this was from God, God puts a great big stamp of approval on Cornelius and his family and friends to show you must accept them if they become Christians. 
It says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. And Peter answered, verse 47, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did, Kenny. And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. Now understand, that the Holy Spirit coming upon Cornelius and his Gentile friends and family, that, that wasn't a sign that they were saved at that point. The Holy Spirit didn't come upon Cornelius for Cornelius' sake. The Holy Spirit came upon Cornelius for Peter's sake. To prove to Peter that when God wants you to accept something, you accept it. It was to prove to Peter that the vision he had was not just some strange dream, but it was a message from God saying, it is time to welcome the Gentiles into the spiritual kingdom of Christ. Do not reject them. When they want to become Christians, you accept them as Christians. This was a great big stamp of approval from God saying, it's time to break the wall down. Now, Cornelius and his family still needed to be baptized. They needed to be baptized in order to be saved. And that's clear from other passages like Mark 16, verse 16, Acts 2, verse 38. These passages and many others illustrate that baptism, as a part of the process of salvation, is absolutely necessary for us to be saved. So Cornelius needed to be saved, and he was. Peter ordered them to be baptized, and they were. And at that point, they became Christians. And there was absolutely no difference between Cornelius and Peter, at least in the sense of their spiritual value and standing in the eyes of God. Jew and Gentile became one with each other in the church of Jesus Christ. As we near the end of this radio program, let's consider a couple other passages that further illustrate the concept that we laid down today. In Galatians chapter 3, begin here in verse 25. Now that faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. That is the old law, the Old Testament. We're no longer under the Old Testament. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. That's exactly what Cornelius and his family did, by the way. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Quick question on baptism, though. If anybody wants to quibble or argue about baptism, is it necessary? Does baptism really save? Well, let's think about this. Even though the Holy Spirit had come upon Cornelius and his family and friends, they still needed to be baptized. They still needed to be clothed with Christ. Paul says here in Galatians 3.27 that baptism clothes us with Christ. My question is, before they were baptized, were Cornelius and his family clothed with Christ? Well, Galatians 3.27 says no, that you have to be baptized to be clothed with Christ. Can you be saved without being clothed with Christ? Well, I don't think that's a defensible argument that you can make. But it goes on to say here in verse 28, in perhaps one of the most sweeping and wonderful statements in the entire New Testament, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, 
then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Go to the book of Ephesians now, and in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. That's exactly how Cornelius felt. Excluded. He was a God-fearer, but he was not fully integrated into Israel says, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. As it says in verse 15, so that he could make two into one new man, thus establishing peace. If this interests you at all, if you'd like to learn more, if you want to become a part of the church, which is made up of so many different people, then please reach out to Montevista and let's study more together. Thank you for joining us today. To hear this program again, please visit our website at montevistacoc.com. If you're in the Phoenix area, come visit us at the Montevista Church of Christ. We're located at 2202 North 40th Street, We have Bible classes for all ages each Sunday morning at 9.30 and again on Wednesday night at 7. For more information about the Monta Vista Church of Christ or to request a personal Bible study, please go to montavistacoc.com. Hallelujah.